Hey everyone, it's Jeff from MCS Magazine, and one of our most popular topics when it comes to self-defense is how to defeat a bully in something like a barroom standoff scenario. Well, while we have a lot of combatives experts in our network, when it comes to this topic, there's one friend of mine in particular who really stands out as a true expert I just had to reach out to. And he's about to teach you how to stare into the eyes of a pumped-up bully and know exactly what to do. Check this out. If bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. There's an old saying in the self-defense world that goes like this. If you don't want to get into bar fights, stay out of bars. Well, it's true that one way to avoid violence is not to go to the places where bad people congregate and where bad things happen. But you also can't live your life hiding under a blanket in your bedroom closet either. If you go out and live your life, you're going to go to a bar or a party or a restaurant, places where sometimes social interaction turns ugly, potentially even violent and escalates to deadly force encounter. When it does, you could suddenly find yourself switching from party mode into survival mode. The question is, when it does happen, will you know how to handle yourself? Well, that's what we're here to help you with today. Hey everyone, this is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat that you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And my guest today to talk about how to survive an attack in a bar or other social environment is self-defense expert Bill Kipp. Bill, welcome back to the program, man. Hey, Jeff. Good to be back, buddy. I've been uh, enjoying watching all the good stuff you're doing in the combatives world, so thanks for having me. Yeah, I know you've got a lot of stuff going on, too, and this is this is kind of like when we thought about this topic, like there was there was one person that we had in mind for that. So I'm really excited about, about getting into this because I'll tell you, we've run some um, – some, we've had some emails that we put out lately that have had an insane response and ones that I never thought would have really hit a trigger in people, and that is the bully at the bar. And I thought that the concept of bullies was was kind of all left back in school, but I've been finding out even in my own personal life over the last couple of years that there are bullies of all kinds, and this barroom type scenario is something that I think a lot of people – want to be prepared for. So I'm really looking forward to, to getting into this. Now, for everyone else out there, um, listen, if you haven't listened to any of our other conversations with Bill before, he's a fifth-degree black belt with over 31 years in the martial arts, specializing over the last 20 years or so in highly specialized adrenal stress training. In fact, he's logged over 50,000 live adrenal stress scenarios with students ranging from children and teens and moms and dads with no other training to martial arts experts and professional fighters. He's also a military veteran, having served in the elite 3rd Marine Recon teams, specializing in counterterrorism and testing security at top-secret military installations. He's worked as a movie stuntman, a bouncer, and a bodyguard, and today we're going to tap into all those barroom skills and really dive deep into how to survive an attack. Now, you can learn more about Bill and his training and what he's got going on by visiting him online at www 
www.predatorarmor.com. And that armor is A-R-M-O-U-R. So predatorarmor.com. All right, Bill, so let's go ahead and get into this. So, you know, we could easily say to everybody, you know, avoid bars to stay out of bar fights. But realistically, most of us have social lives. And sooner or later, we're going to find ourselves in that type of a situation, potentially even with a violent com- confrontation in that type of a social setting. So, you know, we always talk about avoidance and like how to like, obviously, maybe you can't avoid going into bars or going and having a social life. But when you're in those type of social settings, what are the warning signs that that trouble might be brewing in that kind of a social venue? And like, how do how do we learn to spot and respond to those cues? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, and, and I should point out that the barroom scenes are just as relevant these days at the workplace and, you know, pretty much anywhere you can get into these violent confrontations. But agree, there's no reason we need to limit our lifestyle just because of the, the violence that's going out there. But it all, it all starts with awareness. You know, first, there's, there's internal awareness of not projecting like a, an easy victim, a soft target. But in, in a bar situation where you're not even involved, uh, you, know, you just you need to be aware of what's going on. Your situation awareness. You know, in a bar, usually there's going to be some sort of uh, verbal exchange because if, if it was just going to be a fight, it would be a sucker punch, and then you just got to watch that unfold and deal with it appropriately. But usually in a bar, in my experience, there's some sort of verbal precipitation. Somebody starts barking at the other, and then it goes from there. So a verbal you know, a verbal cue is one way to go. However, in bars, it can get pretty raucous and loud. So just watching, you know, 90% of communication is nonverbal. To watch, uh, watching people, watch bystanders. If there's, if there's, uh, some sort of tension going on between two people, you can see it like a, like a, a pebble in the, in the pond where the waves, the, the waves ripple out, uh, from that, from the, uh, disturbance. And it's the same thing when you see bars. You'll see people literally just kind of, Parting the Red Sea and standing back, and uh, and then of course right in the middle of that you'll see the actual uh, actual attack going on. So you know really just just being hyper vigilant and just watching people I think is the best way to to be aware. Yeah, yeah. I mean I think um, we talk a lot about like scanning when you first get in, like where are the exits, things like that. But being a um, being in the military myself. And being a a barroom patron in the military and going in like first going in, especially like, look, when you're, you know, you know, when you're a soldier and you go into a bar and typically in like these types of towns, there's a ratio of about like 100 GIs to one girl and everybody's in competition for it. So it's alpha male status all the way around. But some things I would typically look for is like, OK, well. And, and this isn't just for like young guys or GIs going to bars, but if you go in, like look and see where the different pockets of people are and how do they look. If you've got a bunch of loudmouth, drunken type frat boys at the bar, like I don't go over near them. Like I look at like what could cause a bar fight with me, not even knowing anybody in the bar. And so, you know, for me, it's probably like the spilled drink on somebody or the bar fights that I've been in have typically been standing up like for waitresses that were harassed. Like I had to always put my, my cape on and my white cowboy hat and come into the rescue, but trying to avoid those pockets and being able to read a crowd and, and see, okay, where are the loudmouths at? I don't want to be near them. You know, um, so stuff like that, I think also is, is what I've found to work well for avoidance too. 
Yeah, I think no, that's great. I know back in the bouncing days, you know, which you were aware of. Yeah, we we would know typically, you know, well ahead of uh, of the actual fight happening that it was gonna. You know, you you learn how to watch groups, the, the hot signs, people getting eye contact. You got the got the groups who come in looking for a fight, and then you've got the situations that just just pop off kind of almost spontaneously. With like you said, somebody's stealing a drink. Or the like, but in my experience, the the uh, former the the groups that are coming in looking for a fight are pretty easy to spot. And like you said, you know, uh, just just avoid the situation, avoid going over to them if possible, uh, is a is a great way to go. Yeah, or even if it doesn't, if it's if it's something that's going to brew around you, like you said, looking looking at those signs, especially as a bouncer, and you're trying to read people, not how they're interacting with you, but you know, is there one guy in the group who's staring at another guy? Like staring at another girl, you kind of get it, right? Like he's hoping she'll come over and ask him to dance or whatever. But if he's staring down another guy who may or may not even know about it, you know, like in their mind, like they might be trying to build themselves up or, you know, targeting somebody like, man, before, and I've been part of these conversations, you know, like, man, before this night's over, I'm going to kick that guy's ass. You know, I just don't like him or whatever. And, and um, yeah, just good signs to look out for. You know, in a lot of um, in a lot of contemporary self defense training, you learn about the woofer, and this is something that I really learned from you, and and even the live training events that that I've taken part in uh, that were yours. You know, that woofer is is somebody that we look at as a typical kind of barroom bully. He's a guy who who tries to bully you and intimidate you, either as a prelude to violence or just to really establish his dominance with that threat of violence to like that's going to back them up. So you do a lot of work in this area. And this is really where I think a lot of the adrenal stress conditioning and that training is so, so critical. But how do you respond to that woofer, like that loudmouth bully in order to prevent a fight? And, and, but you know, you want to prevent the fight, you want it to, to scale it down, but you also have to be ready to go at a moment's notice if it looks like it's not going to deescalate. So what are, what are your best tips for dealing with that woofer? Yeah, I think this is a really important and often overlooked component of self-defense training. My experience is that for guys, probably 90% of situations can be de-escalated or stopped before they get physical because most situations with guys start off with, again, that, that verbal precipitative, uh, the, the woof, like we call it. We, and we call it the woof because it's like a dog going woof, woof, woof. If the dog's intention is to bite you, it doesn't bark, it just comes up and, and bites you. It's the same thing with human predators. If, they're, if their intention is to, to hurt you, they're not going to tip their hand, they're going to ambush you, sucker punch you, or whatever. But if they're doing some sort of verbal precipitative action, well, that gives us a lot of, a lot of ammo if we handle it correctly, which is the key thing. Uh, we can almost always, in my experience, we can de-escalate the situation and keep it from getting physical, which, of course, in this day and age, the last thing we want to do is get into a fight. You know, we have to, we have to win there. We have to, we may have to win when they come back with, uh, 12 buddies and, or, or a gun, and then we have to win in court as yeah. often as possible. Yeah. You know, so, but, but, but the, the, um, the key point that I've experienced is that we don't train to deal, in most of our training, we don't deal with someone giving us, barking a bunch of verbal crap at us. And there's this dangerous assumption that just because someone is a, is a black belt or an MMA fighter or, or even goes through a police academy, that they're going to have the ability to deal with the adrenaline rush that, that the woofer elicits. It's a predator-prey dynamic. They're trying to intimidate you. They're trying to trigger us 
so that we get the, what we call the amygdala hijack, where the neocortex goes offline, and it doesn't take much to, to, to trigger this. The neocortex goes offline, the, the primitive amygdala comes online, and all of a sudden we're losing a lot of our, our sensory capacity, our faculties, and our, uh, our, our intelligence. The, the science that I've encountered says that when we're triggered by something, and I know I can get triggered by talking to my wife about money at the dinner table, much less some puke in a bar threatening to rip my head off. But, you know, we, we get into that, um, we get, we get triggered by that wolf. And again, the whole, this, this phenomenon happens. It's that flight, fight or flight response that's, that's supposed to be there to help us. The problem is when that adrenaline kicks in and the neocortex goes offline, if we're not trained to deal with that that phenomena, then we're probably going to succumb to the amygdala hijack. And that's where the, 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 the quick advice that I give people is breathe before you bark. When we get triggered, the breathing gets very rapid, and that's telling the brain you need to respond, and then we go into the whole negative effects of adrenaline where it takes over. The way we take back control and bring the neocortex back online is by deep breathing. And... Um, and you know, so so we want to respond in these when someone's woofing us. We don't want to be responding from that primitive, childlike, knee-jerk response that can get people into big trouble. We want to have our our faculties in line so we can look at the situation and determine what is a creative and effective solution, rather than going from some sort of uh, emotional knee-jerk response, which is what happens to so many people, even if they're a badass fighter, but they've never experienced that woofing in actual training. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I know we're going to dig a lot more into that. We've got a lot more coming up, everybody, including how to defeat fear and harness it to gain an unfair advantage over your attacker, preemptive striking, when to use it and how to use it, and also close quarters combat in really close quarters. All that and more coming up, but right after this message. Imagine staring up at a six foot nine, 350 pound biker dude, rage in his eyes ready to cram a beer bottle down your throat as payback for bumping into him. Would you know exactly what to do without cowering in fear, without begging for mercy, without getting stomped to the floor and beaten while your family watches in horror? You will now with this simple three-step plan. One, don't take your family to biker bars. That's really kind of stupid, isn't it? Two, harden your mind with bulletproof warrior confidence. And three, master your own secret bag of shockingly powerful fight tricks. Waiting for you and your free DVD you can claim now at DefeatLargerAttackers.com. In a real fight, you don't have the option of losing. Not when your life or the safety of your family hiding behind you is on the line. You need to know exactly what to do in those first few seconds of an attack and end it quickly and walk away with your life, your loved ones, and your pride intact. In this free DVD, you'll discover the street fighting secrets for how to knock a bigger, stronger man head first into the pavement with brutal, unstoppable power and speed regardless of your size, strength, or even if you've never been in a fight before in your life. Claim your free DVD now while this offer is still available at www.defeatlargerattackers.com and unleash your true potential to kick ass. And now, back to the show. Okay, we're back with Bill Kipp of PredatorArmor.com. And again, just to kind of get that out to everybody, it's Predator and then Armor is A-R-M-O-U-R.com. We're talking about 
how you can defend and survive a bully attack, especially in like a barroom setting or other social environment. We have got a lot more coming up, so let's go ahead and jump right back in now. So, so Bill, I, I, we've been talking about the, the adrenaline dump and how it hijacks your brain and everything, and, and typically people associate that because what triggers it a lot is fear, right? It's our natural response, and, and that seems to be kind of that proven moment. In fact, for me, and I see this even like in my son's training and things like that, a lot of people, even in their own self-defense, don't have a very aggressive, um, like they defeat themselves mentally before they ever have to defend themselves. And I often think that woofers and bullies, like they've become very adept at spotting fear and knowing when they they own somebody and then using that to their advantage, whether it's just to continue to push you or whether it's to, it's a, you're, a, you're an easy target now to strike out at and just kick your ass because they know you're not going to fight back. But that, that fear mode and being able to switch that, I think is, is really critical. I think it's a, it's probably one of the most important things that I try and get across in my son's training, uh, in working with him and, um, and just in other people. Like it's, it's so mental. So, so let me ask you, how, when, when you're standing there and you've got somebody woofing in your face and all their buddies there or whatever, that natural instinct of fear slips in there, how do you not show fear on the outside to make yourself seem like an easy target for this person, even when you're probably pooping your pants on the inside? Yeah, it's really interesting how, and I think you're right on, I think our ability to handle the fear and adrenaline that will be there in a confrontation is is perhaps the most uh, relevant point that we need to cover to to set someone up for success in a situation. Uh, but, I, but I make a, a distinction between um, feeling fear, showing fear, uh, you know, should I be afraid? What I say is that, you know what, fear is a natural response. And rather than fighting against it, which is what I see a lot of people do, all of a sudden we're in a situation, there's a person here who's triggering me, and uh, and I'm getting this whole response internally. Well, if I can't handle that response internally, it's going to distract me from what I need to do with, with the person who's triggering it. Uh, but but if I if I think about don't show fear and inside I'm crapping my pants, that can lead to that internal conflict, if you will, which, again, separates us from the actual event that's triggering it. So I use the analogy of a cat cornered by a dog. You know, if that, if that cat corners, if it runs out of the corner, obviously the dog is going to get triggered. It's predator-prey dynamic, and it'll chase it. But if that little cat turns towards that dog and activates its adrenaline, you know, and, and just puts out its claws and it gets really fierce, it's essentially saying, Doc, you're scaring the shit out of me and you better back off or I'm going to rip your face off. That's a very different uh, phenomenon, if you will, or, or, or communication than trying to, than, than being afraid and trying not to look like I'm afraid, where there may not be a congruency there. So, you know, I say that fear is not a bad thing. It's uh, fear is there to help us go, go turbo go psycho on the person if, uh, if and when we need to. But if we can, if we can activate our adrenaline where it's, we're like that cat cornered by the dog, predators are not going to want to continue for the most part because, again, the predator-prey dynamics are looking for that soft target. So I make a difference between saying, well, not so much about not showing fear, but not showing that fear is in control. And I think that's pretty powerful. When you go, yeah, man, yeah, you're scaring me, and... 
I'm gonna I'm gonna jack you up. I'm gonna use that fear to do what I gotta do if I need to. That that communicates in a whole different way, and it's more congruent than you know than if I'm trying to to hide or mask the fear that I'm feeling. If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. And in fact, I mean that's this is rel- all the years that I've been doing martial arts and everything. It isn't until probably the last couple of years that it really sunk into me just how how important that that reframing of things in your mind at the moment really is. And, um, and, and, and this is what I'm, I'm recognizing. I don't know. I keep bringing up my son's training because he just had, he's taking private classes right now. He doesn't want to learn from dad. So now he's in Krav Maga classes and he's getting the shit kicked out of him like every, every week now, which is perfect. Right. So, um, but I'm watching him and like, I'm watching him have this very, like we've got a really good instructor. This guy used to be in street gangs and he was a UFC fighter for, you know, uh, uh, martial arts, mixed martial arts guy for a while. And like, he's obviously could kick the shit out of you if it were like a, okay, it's time to go ding, 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 let's go. But trying to watching my, that, that process in my son is the same as I've seen in other students elsewhere, which is like the, the the feed is already there, and so everything they do seems defensive. A block is like, oh, please, I hope this doesn't really hurt me. Like it's not, like you said, I'm feeling fear, but if I have to, this guy's toast. And I realize that the only thing that really allows somebody to really own that and like make it part of their part of their psyche is the confidence in their is is the all-knowing confidence in their ability to literally jack up some guy twice their size with like just a ma- in a matter of just a couple of seconds. Like if you know you can do that, then you know that this person woofing on you like, oh, I feel so bad for them. Like I'm feeling fear. Like I don't want, nobody wants confrontation. Nobody likes people looking at them or looking like they've been intimidated or target or a big wuss or whatever. But to be able to switch that to, look, I'm going to try and de-escalate this, but this guy has no fucking clue what, what he's dealing with here, you know? And that really comes down to, like, it, like you said, like knowing that you have the goods to back it up if you need to. And that, I think, provides a calmness that comes. Like it, it, you can kind of shorten that, that response period. But it really does come down to that. But you also have to be able to spot the signs when the, the attack is on because – well, I'll, I'll I'll leave it up to what your input is, but you know, preemptive striking is a is a contested point of view when it comes to self defense, and I'm not a big blocker myself. I I prefer to to first recognize. I mean, I remember my very first martial arts classes that I ever went to. It was um it was actually a kung fu style. It was very practical. I remember the guy my my instructor the very first day saying, look. 80% of the time, I'm not sure if this is a number or not, but he said 80% of the time, the person who gets in the first punch is the one who wins. Now, it's not, you know, I don't know how accurate that actually is, but it certainly calls up, like, when is it okay to be the first person to strike? So let me ask you, obviously, you can do all the de-escalation diffusing that you want to, but if a guy's determined to come at you and he doesn't want to listen to you and he's not backing down, you might, you know, you've got to be able to recognize, okay, I get it. It's fight time. So how do you know exactly when it's time to make that first strike or should you make the first strike or should you try and block it? Let him take the first strike or or, you know, when do you shoot a preemptive strike? 
Yeah, that's a boy. No, not an easy one to answer because, of course, everything's it's going to be situation dependent. But certainly, I think I think it's true that if the first person to get a strike in does it well, I think it often is the end of the fight. However, what what happens in so many fights is, I mean, how many fights do you see? Look at YouTube where people are in there just swinging away at each other. They're they're adrenal activated. They're holding their breath, locking their hips, and they're they're compensating with all this crap, and they're and nobody's getting hurt. Yeah, you know. So I think it's it's it's, it's I think if someone is prepared to get a good shot in and to do it when they need to, then I think there's a real good chance of the fight stopping them. Um, but but the, where I would start with that, buddy, is I would say first protect distance. I've seen over and over and over again when people get in a tough spot, they get in that macho part of their brain and they they get they either allow the attacker to get in way too close or they themselves might compromise that distance. And next thing you know, you got two chest thumpers in there, you know, like two gorillas thumping their chest, putting their face in each other. And distance is our friend, but it's one of the first things that people compromise when they get into an altercation. So so distance equals a lot more choices. So you want to have that. that so you'll have more time to assess the, the possibility of a preemptive strike. Then the other thing, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it's you've got to you got to keep your brain online so you can consciously assess what's going on. And uh, yeah, you you know you're aware. Of course, you're aware of the concept of OODA loop: observe, orient, decide, and act. That's all that's really happening in a fight. And in a preemptive strike, your OODA loop has to be faster than the attackers, which means you've got to have all your faculties online. Uh, the, if you look at the OODA loop, the first three parts of it, the observe, or, uh, orient, and decide, all happen ideally in the high brain. If you are keeping conscious, then when you act, that's activating the adrenaline, going in for that full-on strike, and you'll be much better able to see that, uh, and almost magically, when when the other guy is triggered in the adrenaline rush and they make their... They, they square up, they do all the things that people do when they're, uh, when they're an adrenalized idiot, if you will, and uh, and their 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 movements are actually quite obvious, but again, you've got to be in a conscious state to be able to see that, to assess the situation, and then decide when to go. And then and then, as you said, you know, I'm not a believer in blockery. There, there I mean, of course, situa- things happen very quickly. You might need to get a quick block if they got a, a bottle coming at you or something. But my defense is the best offense. Is you just you know, if you're blocking, then they're dictating the fight. And so I just tell people. Do whatever you can to not fight, but if you gotta fight, flip that switch. Become, you know, the fight, fight like a demon until five minutes after you're dead. Uh, and, and you know, I'm gonna go home tonight. This guy's not gonna defeat me. I think that's the attitude you want to have. Uh, otherwise, you know, what you'll see sometimes do is people will get that preemptive strike in, but they won't follow it up because it won't be a committed attack. And then that that gives the other person the opportunity to to come at us. Yeah. Well, something I learned in in, in really kind of embedded in me from taking your training class where we had the, the everybody had the predator or the you know your trainers had the predator armor on you could go full force on these guys and but there was so much emphasis that you put on de-escalation but but I think more than that like more succinctly was like creating that decision point for them like so when you frame it for them like look this isn't this isn't going to be a fight like you're not going to get a fight out of me um but putting it back on them with like the you know back off back off like using your hands to to really communicate to them and to everybody else around them that hey look I don't want to fight you back off now back off and putting that authority in your voice 
makes it a decision point because they can either back off or if they don't, they pretty much answered your question of whether or not they really want to fight. Like you can, you create that decision point and it's up for them to make that decision. And typically that decision for them, especially after such a forceful back off um, scenario, isn't just to strike you. It's typically to respond to almost what they see almost as a wolf with a with maybe a bigger wolf and yeah. and they, if they choose to escalate then that's pretty much your answer like okay i told him to back off he wants to escalate so now it's now it's a fight and that that creates a should create a trigger for you because their ooda loop is you know like wait this guy's kind of fighting back now he's telling me to back off so some people might say all right he doesn't want to fight i got the best of him i'm out of here or somebody else might you know, their OODA loop is, oh, this guy wants to challenge me? Oh, hell no. So um, so creating that decision point, I think, puts, you know, shortens your OODA loop, makes theirs a little bit bigger, but also gives you that answer of whether it's go time or not. But but now, like you said, some people might get that first strike in, but it's what you do after that that might determine whether or not you just piss somebody off or whether... Um, you're going to, you know, you're going to be able to walk out of there alive for that night. So uh, I know this is kind of a big topic, but what are maybe the top three best strikes, especially in the crowded environment of, of a, of a bar, as an example, what are the, what are maybe the three best strikes that somebody can look at potentially maybe preemptively, but then also as a follow-up? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, because there are some situations certainly where you cannot get that that advantage of distance in a crowded pub. So you got to do what you got to do. My my first one, uh, I've got I've got three physical strikes that come to mind. But the first one before even physical is is an oddball one that's worked for me in the past. And that is so here you are, you got this goon pissed off, face red, spitting at you. You know, you're you're face to face. We've all been there. One thing that I've done in the past. Is do you, do you remember when you came to Ramcat and I had my Malamute, Alaskan Malamute, Malamute there? He was a, a big, a big wolf looking yeah. dog. Well, he, yeah. he taught he taught me how to growl, and I've had this where a guy was right in my face, and I just looked at him and just calmly just did this guttural, <laughs> just really. I mean, it was a good growl. I got to give this to myself. <laughs> it stopped the guy in his tracks. It caught you know it stopped his little loop right there. Cognitive dissonance. And he just looked at me, his head dropped, and he turned around and said to his buddies, the son of a bitch just growled at me. And the thing was diffused right there. Uh, I just, <laughs> I had to stand back and, and laugh a little bit about that. But, so, you know, don't, don't, uh, so practice crazy. your, step one, practice your growl. Practice okay. Your growl. Yeah. Um, but, but no, I think, uh, you know, when I went to the UK, I got really turned on by headbutts. And until I went over there, I, I wasn't too hot on them. But they get in a lot of situations there in the pubs. A headbutt is a great way to go. I think a groin strike, there you are nice and close. You know, you would think that people would blade and protect their groin, but they don't, especially when they start woofing and they get activated. They tend to square up, and the groin is a real good target in close. And then my, my all-time favorite that you that really, I think, lends itself nicely to close proximity is just a short, powerful elbow because it's a, it's a strike that, it's a very powerful strike, and even if the first one uh, doesn't knock him out, it's going to go through whatever defense you got, and usually sets up a really nice second, maybe even third elbow to follow up with. So that would be my quick answers. Yeah. Yep. All good stuff. Good stuff. 
Okay, awesome. Well, I appreciate uh, taking some time with us today and uh, going over this. Like I said, people are really interested in this topic. And, you know, I'll tell you, everybody, um, there's one thing in being able to take lessons or learn a few techniques, but being able to go, like, full-on force-on-force with somebody um, beyond even, like, what you would normally find in sparring in in the type of training that you would get from the local dojo or anything – it, it really makes a big difference in mental conditioning and in really just confidence in your own abilities and being able to defeat fear and be able to use it to your advantage. That really comes in, uh, comes in handy when you can go force on force. And so uh, Bill's training, which he only does, I think like annually now, like it's not, it's not an all around thing anymore. So you've really got to take advantage when these come available, but the predator armor is what makes that possible. And even if you go to a local school or something like that, you might want to even talk with them about, about this as well. In fact, Bill, why don't you, what, what is the predator armor? Like explain to people, I know a lot of people don't see this when, when they go to their typical self-defense school, but what is the predator armor? Like what is the project that you're working on now? Yeah, the Predator Armor is unique in that it's the only armor on the planet that I'm aware of where you can allow someone to safely, completely get the experience of activating their adrenaline and fighting, you know, in, in, fire up their inner berserker or their, their warrior spirits uh, in a way that's just not safe in your typical training so that you can get that experience of like a, like a spark plug, using that adrenaline to fire off the engine of your strikes with incredible power and, uh, and, you know, and, and, and effectiveness. But, you know, it, you can't be training that way full force with your fellow students without the armor, or you're not going to have a school for very long. So that's where this armor is, uh, it's really unique. Now it's, you know, armored assailant training is a little confusing here because people just see our training and there's a lot of suits out there and they go and buy the wrong suit for the wrong purpose. So this is the only armor I use because our premise is, again, to allow somebody to activate their adrenaline and hit absolutely full force to vulnerable areas, and when people get that experience, they know, just like you were saying earlier, when you know you, if you need to, you'll flip that switch, all of a sudden you're, you come from a true confidence, not this cocky bravado that comes from people that don't have that sense of confidence in a true manner. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, um, it's not just a matter of slapping on armor either, so um, this is definitely something like if you take any sort of lessons out there, or if you're an instructor, Definitely go over and check out Bill's website for it because this can add something. I mean, I know the big thing for martial arts school owners and stuff is retention. And how do you differentiate yourself from other schools that are out there that you're competing with? This is one way that you can you can do that and provide like much better training to the people because you're not just teaching technique, you're teaching application of technique. And so highly recommend going over to Bill's website. Again, it's www dot predator armor a r m o u r dot com go check it out and uh, check out bill's other stuff all right and until our next modern Com combat and survival broadcast this is jeff anderson saying prepare train and survive Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. 
This has been Modern Combat and Survival. 